All right, John chapter 3. And before we stand for the reading of the word of the Lord, I want to put it into context. We have taken a look at the imperative of being born again as Jesus is having a conversation with the the, uh, leader of all of Israel, Nicodemus. He is the head Pharisee, Sadducee um, priest. He's also the third wealthiest man in all of Israel. Uh, This man comes to Jesus at night and he says, we know that you are a teacher come from God for no one can do what you're doing um, unless he's from God. And, and that's where Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? We covered that last week. Jesus answered, said, most, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. It's an imperative for all of us. And so he describes this. He says, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but can't tell where it comes from, from where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. Now that being said, Nicodemus just said to Jesus at that point, how can these things be? I cannot fathom this. What are you talking about? You're giving me stretch marks on my brain. I don't, I don't understand Lord. And so today Jesus is going to give insight into how this takes place in a human heart, being born of the Spirit, being born of the Spirit. So let's stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. We're going to pick up at verse 9. Nicodemus answered Jesus and said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered Nicodemus and said to him, are you the head teacher, the, the master teacher of Israel, and you don't know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the son of man who is in heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm Nicodemus, I'm going, well, wait a minute. You said you're the son of man. Now you're saying you're in heaven, but you're in front of me and you're trying to explain this to me. And I'm more confused than when you began. You're, you have issues. <laughs> and Moses, and then Jesus said, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, I mean, if it wasn't confusing already, <laughs> let's make it more so. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so, the son of man must be lifted up. And whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever or whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. One of the most important verses in the Bible. You see it in football games at the end zone. John 3, 16. Lord, we ask your blessing on the study of your word. And as Nicodemus was confused, I imagine there's a number of folks in the room who are as well. But Holy Spirit, you lead us into all truth and you remove scales from our eyes. And through wisdom, you, you instruct us and we come to a place of understanding. And Lord, you say that you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you do that in this room today. I pray that you'd set folks free, that they would understand what this spiritual birth is all about, what this new birth in Christ is all about. And I ask, Lord, that you would do a mighty work in Jesus' name, amen. Well, please be seated. 
This is a Mother's Day message in the sense that when John wrote in 3 John chapter 1, he said, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health. And this is what moms want for their kids. Just as your soul prospers. For I rejoice greatly when my children came and testified of the truth that was in them. Just as you walk in the truth which is something that all mothers would want to say to their kids. And then we see in verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He made himself exclusive. He didn't say, I'm a way, a truth, a life. He said, I'm the way, meaning exclusive. People say, well, that's narrow. Truth is narrow. Two plus two is four. It's not three. It's not two. It's not, it's, it's, truth is narrow. And, and we want to be open-minded, but do we also want to be open-mouthed? If I were to tell you that, come over to my house for dinner, uh, I've cooked a, you know, a four-course meal, uh, the, the dessert is resplendent, it's a chocolate cake, um, it's, it's a family recipe that's won awards, people you know, rave about it, I want you to come over and have it. You're salivating at the thought of it. I make these, this salt steak and this <laughs> bread that I learned from. I mean, it's phenomenal, and you're going to be blown away. But I'm going to tell you that in the course of preparing this meal, uh, the kids came in from the backyard, and they were, they were you know, doing some gardening, and they got some dog manure on their glove, and a bit of it fell in one of the dishes, and I'm not sure which one. But I just wanted to give you a heads up. Would you be opened mouth? You'd be discerning which one looks or smells or seems to have been affected by this fecal matter. Yes? If I were to tell you that one of these four drinks, no matter how thirsty you are, has poison in it, you would be discerning. And we always say be open-minded. Well, be careful. There's poison. It's like being open-mouthed and not being discerning by what you're going to eat. And so the same holds true that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. Those are claims that need to be examined with an intellectual mind. These are truths that need to be looked at before you come to a conclusion. And so when we come to this place that Jesus says, whoever believes in me will not perish but have everlasting life. When he comes to Nicodemus and he says that, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's a claim. That's a big one. He's declaring himself to be the savior of the world. No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the son of man who is in heaven. And Nicodemus, who is learned, far more learned than all of us in the room, Nicodemus, who has multiple degrees, Nicodemus, who is the head of a nation, Nicodemus, who is the third wealthiest man in all of Israel, is perplexed by this, as many of us are in the room. I remember when I was first presented with the gospel in junior high, the only word I heard was, you're going to go to hell if you don't. I had no idea what the rest of it meant. I'm like, what, hell? What did I do? What is hell? Oh, it's weeping and gnashing of teeth. The, the, you know, the worm never dies. There's no, it's awful. It's like dying every minute and never dying. It's like pain and never ending, never ending. Oh, what? And this kid was hardcore. I just wanted to go back to Woodshop because that's the only class I was doing well in. And, I, and it was intense. It wasn't until years later that I'd go through the process, sit with an English teacher from my high school that hosted a Bible study. I started to comprehend what sin meant, that sin is an archer's term, that where the arrow lands and where the bullseye is is called the sin distance, how far we've fallen from perfection. 
how do we how do we get to the bullseye we can either try harder or god just moves the bullseye over to where we are christ imputes his righteousness to us his comment to me and i've never forgotten it and that was back when i was in my teens and here i am 50 almost 51 and, and, and he said, Christianity is separated from every religion in the world by that simple fact of how do you span the distance between where perfection is and where you are? You can try harder. Don't drink, don't chew, don't hang around with those who do. And we never do that. Every promise we make, every commitment we make, I swear to God, I'll never, we do it again. We break the speed limit. We, we, we lie, we cheat, we, we deceive ourselves. We, whatever it is, just fill in the blank. That's, that's falling short. And no matter what you think of yourself, in the light of a God who's completely holy and without sin, you won't measure up. You, you can measure up to me. You can say, well, I'm not like Rob McCoy. I'm better than Rob McCoy. And God's going to go, who isn't? I mean, really, if that was your standard, you, you really screwed that up. God is the standard. We'll stand before him and give an accounting of our life. He's our creator. Even our founding fathers grasped this. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, endowed by their creator. They got it. They understood we were under natural law. They didn't have to deal with the dominational issues. They didn't have to deal with infant baptism or, uh, or adult baptism. They, did, they just bypassed that and looked at, at natural law, endowed by our creator. It was brilliance. Fascinating. They got that. We're, we aren't a cosmic accident. It wasn't, it wasn't some chaotic experiment that we ended up here, that we have a heart that loves and beats and that we care and we raise families and we watch as blessings come when we do things certain ways and when we don't, we watch it implode. We watch how principles applied can transform communities and principles uh, rejected can destroy communities. It's that simple, but we would rather set that aside so we're not accountable to a creator and we make up some fanciful story so that we don't ever have to subject ourselves to being under authority. I'm in charge of my life. I'm a self-made man. No, you aren't. There's there's a part of yourself you've made, not one bit. You don't keep your heart beating at night. You don't keep your lungs moving at night. We're all accountable. And so when we look at this, my English teacher said to me, there's only two religions in the world. There's man's way and God's way. Man's way is trying to reach God by, by earning his favor, a capricious God, or however you want to define him, or some entity or source or, or energy, and, and somehow you're going to get in tune to it, and you're going to meditate, and you're going to you know, go without food, and you're going to crawl over broken glass, and you're going to get the voice of the universe as you hum. I don't know what it is that you're trying to do to move your arrow, but it isn't working. You're irritating. We don't like being with you. Oh, but you don't understand, I'm, 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 I'm in this mode. And... and then there's Christianity. Christianity says, man can't do this. He never could. And I love him so much that I'm going to move the bullseye to where he is, and I'm going to give him my righteousness. You see, the penalty for sin is death, so Christ is going to die in our place. That whoever believes that, can't explain it, but believes it, will not perish but have everlasting life. And as he explains this to the religious leader, this political leader, this wealthy man, he explains it to Nicodemus. Nicodemus just says, how can these things be? How does this work? And he explained to me, he says, the wind blows where it's supposed to blow and you don't even know where it comes from, but you still trust it. He gives him an earthly picture and Nicodemus still can't fathom it. 
He still can't get it into his mind. And Jesus answers and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel? You're the master teacher of Israel. You're the religious guy. You're the theological giant. You're the philosophical giant. You're the psychological giant. You're the guy who understands science and medicine and and theology and, and political science. You got all this. And you, the master teacher of Israel, you don't get this? Nicodemus just looks at him and he says, no, I, I don't. And Jesus says, truly, I say to you, listen, Nicodemus, we speak of what we know and testify of what we've seen, and you don't receive our witness. He's speaking of the Trinity. You know, John baptized in the wilderness. There, there was a picture of the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit descended upon Christ in the form of a dove, not a dove, but in the form of a dove. The Father answered. The Son was there. All three aspects of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Father is speaking to the Son. The Son is answering the Father. They're in two different places, yet they're one God, and they're three persons. And I think of this, and I have, I, 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 my brain hurts. I mean, if you say, oh, you can explain the Trinity, it's really simple. It's, it's, like, it's like water. It, it can be three things at once. It can be ice, it can be vapor, and it can be liquid all at the same time. <laughs> yeah, but does it talk to itself and answer itself? Oh, no, it doesn't. No, that doesn't work. Okay, you're a, you're a man. Yes, yes, I am a man. I am a man. And your dad's still living? He is. Not much longer, but he's alive, yes. And you have children? I do. And you're married? I am. So you see, you're a son, you're a father, and you're a husband all at the same time. Yes, but I, I don't... Well, I do talk to myself and answer myself. And I, <laughs> but I'm not three different people. I mean, you can do your best to try to explain it with earthly ideas, but it still falls short. It's, it's, it's beyond the space-time continuum. We're trying to take an earthly understanding of an eternal truth, and we can't fathom it. We're not capable of that. It's like the virgin birth. I have no idea. And yes, there is an aspect of Christianity you have to take by faith. And that bothers some of us. And Jesus knows that because he's looking across a guy who is so educated, he just can't get it through his, his skull. He's trying to reason it. He's trying to come up with some earthly understanding. He's trying to grasp it in some way, shape, or form. I love what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Most people look at the cross and they go, that is so stupid. What do you mean I have to submit to a savior? But for those of us who have embraced the cross, it's the greatest thing I've ever done. It's the most monumental thing I could ever have imagined. God took a drug addict, loser, backslidden, miserable human being that would have never been married, never have had kids, so self-centered, so self-consumed, an awful son, an awful friend, an awful person, and he transformed me. And a lot of you go, well, you're still the same. Well, thank you. Did that hurt? (laughs) My wife doesn't think so. My kids love me. I love them. I've learned how to serve them and to serve my family. That wasn't in me. That's not Rob McCoy. I've watched as he's transformed my life and done amazing things, and all I can say is, that's the foolishness of the cross, the cross you reject. The Lord says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. With all your knowledge, you're you're still miserable. With all your learning, with all your money, you're still empty. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Where is this, this brilliant person? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? I mean, I, I just go look at old science magazines and the, the things that they've come up with. 
I mean, even now we're struggling with this concept of global warming. Entire governments have been rearranged based on scientific global warming. And, and, and we're watching as, as, as we're financially depraving and, and, and redistributing wealth a- across the globe. And now scientists are saying, well, that wasn't really the case. And a lot of us are in the room, we're even divided going, well, I can't, I just, just give it some time. Every one of these fanciful issues over time are going to reveal themselves if they're true or false. And we've had some doozies. I mean, I think about psychologists and psychiatrists. They used to have this thing called yelling therapy where you'd scream at a pillow and punch it. That's, that's, that's brilliant right there. I'm just going to get all out. I'm just going to hit the pillow. I feel so much better. And they, they, had, they had conferences on this. Harvard and Yale and hit the pillow. And they give these long words that made it seem so scientifically, you're punching a pillow. I don't know. I thought, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. Here you have Nicodemus. I don't, I, I'm standing in front of God. He's not a, a man come from God. He's God come to speak to man. And Nicodemus, you were the guy who should know this better than anybody, and you were as blind as a bat. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom, they, they just they didn't see it. And it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For the Jews request a sign. Show us a sign. I want to see a rainbow in the sky. I want to, I want to see a sign. Show me a miracle. I got news for you. Miracles won't save you. I remember I had a guy come to me one time and he said, you show me a miracle that is substantiable. So substantiation, you know, a real one. And I go, what are you looking for? And he goes, like an amputee that grew back an arm. I said, okay. But before I do that, let's just be honest here. Before I do that, before I bring you that evidence, do you promise me that you'll receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior when I bring you that evidence? Oh, just, I mean, I, I mean, it, it, it'd have to be, okay, clear, concise, presentable evidence. Will you promise me that you will fall on the ground, humble yourself before the living God, and commit your life to Christ if I show you that? Well, truly, and I love this honesty. No, I won't. I go, so it's not a miracle you're looking for. The world loves darkness more than light. It's not because of the evidence presented. It's because of the hardness of our heart. We don't want to be accountable. We don't want to have a God tell us what to do. The Jews request a sign. The Greeks seek after wisdom. I have proven the non-existence of God because I have continued to elevate my mind higher and higher and higher. And all of us have realized that the higher you've elevated, the dumber you've become. (laughs) The Bible says that fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Our kids in Sunday school are probably smarter than some of the PhDs. You know, the, the, the old adage that was presented to graduating seniors at Stanford, it was the riddle, what is greater than God, more evil than the devil, um, the, the rich need it and the poor have it, and if you eat it, you'll die. And the Stanford seniors are like, well, I don't, I don't. and they're coming up with all these things, and all the answers are wrong, and they presented it to a kindergarten class in a Christian school, and they go, they got it all right. Because he didn't have to get past the first sentence. What's greater than God? Nothing. 
What's more evil than the devil? Nothing. What do the rich need? Nothing. What do the poor have? Nothing. What is it that you eat? If you eat it, you'll die. Nothing. And the kindergarten's like, <laughs> the smarter you get, the dumber you tend to be. Now, now listen, that's not to negate education. All the ologies, universal, uh, you know, when we look at God's name, Elohim, unified diversity, singular plurality, it used to be that our, our, our areas of higher learning all had the ologies that pointed to one God, and all these ologies, you know, unified diversity, that's where we get the word university, different studies, diverse studies for a unified purpose to glorify God. So yes, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman or woman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word truth. Study, do it, go to school, get as educated as possible, be a doctor, be a lawyer, be a candlestick maker, a baker, whatever, do it. And be the smartest one. But you're going to be the smartest one because you have the, the, the unified purpose of your, of your diverse education. It's brilliant. Are you just going to school to get smarter so that you're more confused? And, and, you know, you look at Blaise Pascal, you look at some of these, the f- French philosopher, you look at Sir Isaac Newton, all these glorified the Lord, and they were brilliant. You can do this. And so the, the Greeks looked after wisdom. They looked after education. The Jews looked for a sign. But Paul would write, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, it's a stumbling block. And to the Greeks, it's foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And you, you read that and you think, God, like Nicodemus, all of us get to a place where you go, this, this, is gonna, this is a game changer if I buy into this. This is a game changer if I trust. And the word for the Greek and trust means put my weight in. You know, you can all believe in your head that the chairs will hold you. But right now, I can testify as you're sitting in them that you're putting your weight, you're trusting that they can hold you. God wants you to trust him. Put your life, your weight, all of who you are into his care. And then you have to look and assess it and say, okay, I'm willing to do that. When you came in, if the, if the chair looked all aged and rickety and it was leaning and somebody next to you sat down and collapsed and they had to bring an ambulance in and it's now your turn to sit, you're like, I ain't doing it. But look around the room because it says we have a great cloud of witnesses. It says in, in, in Hebrews chapter t- uh, 12, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, everyone's seated in those seats. You had no problem sitting down this morning. Let us lay aside every weight and every sin which easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. God wants us to trust him. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith for the joy that was set before him, he endured your cross and my cross. He died. Despise the shame, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, and he's come to seek and to save that which is lost, which is us. He comes to move the bullseye. But we have to trust him. And Nicodemus, like many of you in the room, are having a problem with this. Nicodemus gets to a place where he hits a roadblock, and Jesus says, we speak of what we know and testify of what we've seen, and yet you do not receive our witness. He says, Nicodemus, if I've told you earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? This is not an earthly principle. This is way above your pay grade. But you need this. And he says, Nicodemus, you're a biblical scholar. Yes, I am. You know the Old Testament well. Yes, I do. You know numbers. I know the Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I know the, the five books. Yes, I do. You know Numbers 21. I do. He says, 
Nicodemus, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So Jesus immediately goes to Nicodemus and he drops in on Numbers 21. This is a trippy passage of scripture in Numbers 21. The children of Israel are going through the wilderness. They've exited Egypt. They're wandering in the wilderness. They're getting sick and tired of the provision of God. He's bringing a manna every morning. They wake up, there's the manna. And, 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 and they begin by saying they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea in the Numbers 21 to go around the land of Edom and the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and they spoke against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food and there's no water and our soul loathes this worthless bread. <clears throat> and, and come on, we've been there. If there's a loving God, why am I in this situation? Because you're in a fallen world with awful people. And you've been walking away from him. And you want him to bless you. And, 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 and he does. The, the rain falls softly on your fields and the sun rises. And you're being held on the earth as it's spinning through the universe. And gravity should just you know, hold you. And you don't even know how to explain it. And you should just be flung out into the expanse. And, and, and all these things, you just, you just look at it. And yet we complain and shake our fists. I've got questions for you. You don't even have a clue who you're talking to, but he, you're like an insurance salesman. Everything is covered except for acts of God. What are those? Pestilence and famine and earthquake. That's not God's fault. That's ours. Wars. But they attribute all that to God. Acts of God. And you shake your fist at him and you're angry. And God's got a solution. He's got a remedy. And, and every morning you wake up and you eat food and you go, I earned the money for this and I paid for this and you kids will eat every bit. Of, you didn't raise any of it. Did you cause the seed to germinate and cause unto life so that it would flourish and that the, the, the rains would come in over the mountain range and as they go up, they would freeze and then land so that in the, in the summer, the snowpack would melt and then come into the valley to irrigate your, your crops so that the, the food would grow and it would go through seasons that they would harvest. And are you kidding me? What part of that did you do? And, and here, we complain. I don't like it. You're not complaining about the provision. You're complaining that there's no menu. It's manna every day. I hate manna. <laughs> Give thanks in all things, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Yeah, but I want to have what they have. And you're losing what you have. And you're, you, you're not, uh, Godliness with contentment is great gain. And yet we complain because somebody else has more. We need to equalize it. It's a whole nother sermon. And you complain about the manna because of the menu. Some of you are creative. You've kind of gotten through the whole menu thing. You're like, oh, today we're going to have bamama kati. Or bamama bread. Or mama shevitz. I don't know. That's a stretch, and I'm sorry. <laughs> and they were loathing not the they, they were loathing the the absence of a menu, not the provision. They were angry that it was just manna. And I tell you, bitterness to God, you never win. You don't win. Give thanks in all things, even the tough times. God has a lesson in them. 
why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no food. And they begin to complain. I got news for you. God is loving and he's patient. And he would want that none would perish, but that all would be saved. But he will not contend with man forever. You, you, you do not break his universal commands and get away with it. If you can break his universal commands and Jesus' death on the cross was, was a, uh, sufficient and efficient for all the world's sins so that you don't have to profess faith in Christ, but he just saved you, we need to just stop preaching and we're all just going to just, just run on your own. The reality is we have to come to a conclusion of this idea of Nicodemus that this, this spiritual birth is, is a new creature in Christ. It is an act of faith. And you must look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. He's the one that executed. He's the one that, that provides it. He's the one that accomplishes it. And you must believe in your heart and confess with your tongue that Jesus is Lord. You will be saved. Whosoever believes will not perish. Trusting, putting your weight in Christ. The point is this. After they broke this covenant and they, they, they complained against God... All of a sudden, there's, there's two types of serpents in the area where they were living. One is like 15 to 18 inches long. The other is like 30 inches long. They're both poisonous. They both lie in the sand with their heads out so you can't even see them. They've probably come into a massive serpent's nest. And it says in verse 6, So the Lord sent fiery serpents, poisonous serpents, among the people, and they bit the people. And many of the people of Israel died. These are the kind that you're like, <laughs> you know, and your eyes bleed. and you're, it, it, it's, I don't know if you've ever seen how venom works. It's nasty black mambas and you get the anti-venom you got to rush him to the doctor and you got to do the tourniquet and our boy scouts learn how to do that and you don't want the blood to flow up higher and if it gets worse you got to hack off your arm so it doesn't get to your heart and if it gets and then it's crazy okay <laughs> and the people came to moses and they're running they've been bitten they're watching people drop left and right and they said we've sinned for we've spoken against the lord against you and pray to the lord that he take away the serpents from us now, nobody likes the struggle in their life. Nobody likes the consequences. You weep to the wind, you reap the whirlwind. You, the consequences of your life are a result of the way you, you know, granted, somebody's hurt you. We've all been hurt by somebody, but you turn around and perpetrate that on someone else. You are now the, the biter. You're now the snake. And, it's, and we're just lighting up on each other. And we're just injecting poison into our culture and our community and people are dying and we're killing our children and we're, and we're watching as homes are imploding and lives are, and, and we're just filling our, our airwaves with trash and, and contrary to what God desires and we're watching the whirlwind. And in the midst of all this, we, we finally get it. This is what God wanted, but this is what we're doing and this is what's happening and we got to come back to him and they say, have mercy on us. You've, you've sent these serpents. This is a consequence of our actions. We're being bitten. And, and they, they watch people dying around them. They started to see the connection. We're all whining and we're all dying. And the people came to Moses. They said, we've sinned. That's a good step, acknowledging that you're the problem. Isn't it so amazing? People come to me all the time, Pastor, I've got a problem. What is that? Well, it's my spouse, it's my children, it's my boss, it's my, oh, you seem to have a connection here. And the connection's you. <laughs> Could you in any way be the problem? Oh, no, 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 I am God's gift to humanity. <laughs> Clean up your side of the street. What have you done wrong? 
You're accountable before God. That's an amazing transformative cultural experience when we can all realize that there's a God and we're accountable to him. We won't lie. We won't cheat. We won't steal. We're going to stand before him. There's nothing like having that conviction in your life. And he says, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. We were backbiting and snipping about you. We don't like your leadership. A house divided will not stand. I sat in a debate yesterday and all four of the candidates were asked awful questions by the audience. Awful. In my comment, I was the last to speak, and I said, you wonder why we have a decrease in voter turnout when anyone who runs for office is going to be brutalized like that. You wouldn't say that to anyone you care about, let alone you you want to take a snip at a politician or somebody willing to run for office. And we wonder why our community's divided and why nobody wants to vote anymore. Kindness, a, a a gentle answer is like apples of gold and settings of silver. A word fitly spoken. An offended brother is harder one than a fortified city. And so they come to a place where they recognize that they've sinned. They've spoken against the Lord and they've spoken against Moses. And then they say, pray to the Lord that he takes away the serpents from us. So we have a plan for the Lord. We want, okay, Lord, I've sinned and, and I've, I've talked bad, smack about you and about the leaders that you've placed in my life. But uh, this is what I need you to do for me. I need you to take the serpents away. This is a plan that I want you, this is my plan I want you to do. God's not on the earth to do our bidding. We're on the earth to do his bidding. These are the two great laws of the universe. There is a God and we are not him. Hard one to grasp for some of us. So Moses prayed for the people. That's the best thing a leader and a father and a mother can do, pray. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. It shall be that everyone who is bitten, who looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent. By the way, you ever seen the symbol for our doctors with a serpent on the pole? That's where it comes from. So good. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Wow. It's true. And so they put this bronze serpent on a pole and people were getting bit. And so it was if the serpent had bitten anyone, when that person looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Okay. So this is what he tells Nicodemus about the serpent. He goes, Nicodemus, can you explain that scientifically? No. Can you s- explain it medically? No. No, no. No. What? No. Can you explain it philosophically? No. Can't do that either. Do we have more of these to go? Because I know what the answer is on every one of them. Can you explain it theologically? Somewhat, but no. Psychologically? Well, I'm, I'm getting psychotic, but no, I can't explain it. Nicodemus, the reason why is because it's not earthly, it's divine. Now in the story that you learned as a theologian, can you see God's grace and his mercy in that? That it's undeserved? I mean, they complain against God. They've committed cosmic treason. He puts a serpent on a, on a pole, a bronze serpent on a pole. They've been bitten. They have to look to it and they're healed. They're the ones who blew it. They're the ones, and, and, and they've been doing the complaining, and really, the wages of sin is death. God would do better just to wipe us all out and start again. We're his creatures, and we have committed cosmic treason. We're the only creatures in the world given the ability to love him, and we don't. 
and, and we've been created to obey him and to live, and we don't. And we always step away from his precepts, and, and we die. And he even told us that if you do this, you'll die. And we still disobey him, and we die. And now he gives us a serpent to look at on a bronze pole. It's a, it's, it's a bronze serpent on a pole. There's, there's no way to explain that, Nicodemus. But isn't that gracious of God, and isn't it merciful of God? Yes. Yes. See, Nicodemus, if you follow your earthly reason, it, it will lead unto death. But by faith, you will come to life. They were bitten, and the venom was coursing through their body. Now, when you're born, you're already bitten. The sin nature is starting to take its course. And over time, you can see how the toxicity spreads and your body ceases to function. At 15, I didn't feel like there was any venom in my body. At 20, just a little smitten. At 50, I am riddled with venom. And some of you now in your 80s are like, it's coming. 90s, it, I, I'm, I've, I'm living on borrowed time. Hundreds, I don't know why I'm still here. My dad, I went to go say goodbye to him on Wednesday. My sister said he's dying. I got there and he's in the hospice room and the person that was in there with him died the night before. And he's fetal position, his lips are stuck to his teeth. He just, and he's just frail and gaunt. He was unresponsive and I kissed him and I told him I loved him and I prayed for him. And my sisters and I left and we went back to the house and Michelle came later with Michael and Molly and Oliver because she had to get a bone uh, scan for her, her back. And she gets there and we eat something and she says, I want to go see your dad. And I go, I don't want to go see him again. I said goodbye. I can't see him like that again. She goes, please come with me. All right. So I drove down to go see my dad. I go into his room. His room's empty. I'm like, oh, bummer. And they go, he's not here. He's in the, he's in the dining hall. Again, he's sitting in a wheelchair eating. I'm like, what are you, Lazarus? <laughs> Serious, man. You, you have the constitution of a government mule. And my, 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 my daughter's feeding him, and he's, yes, yeah. You know, it's like, wow. And he's holding Oliver's foot. We're taking pictures. He's still frail. He's just, he just he, you know, he, he, he's ready to go. I, I just thought I'd share that. But the idea is, this bronze serpent, the venom is coursing through our body. The venom's coursing through our body, and a lot of you could say, is there a remedy? Can you just take sin away? Well, if I took sin away, God said I'd have to take sinners away. You're the serpents, Rob. You do the biting. You know, some of you have been poisoned by other people who've been hurt. And some of you have poisoned others. We're biting each other and we're devouring one another. And God could take away sin, but he'd have to destroy sinners. So he allows the venom to exist, but he brings an anti-venom. What is that? It's a serpent on a pole. That's stupid. That is so stupid. Why would God do that? Because he chose to do it that way. You don't like the answer. And he chose to do that because it would be a picture of a greater truth that was yet to come, that Jesus Christ would be crucified on a cross for all mankind's sin. And you look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, and you will be saved unto the glory of the Father. That's why he did it. You don't have to like it, you don't have to agree with it, but you're not God. And the effects of the venom get worse, as I said, the longer you live. And the more you go without a remedy, the more you go without an anti-venom, the meaner you become. And you are vicious. 
and you're cruel and you're critical and you're poisoning other people and there's no natural solution. There's no natural solution. It's appointed once for a man to die. You're dying, you're poisoned and you're poisoning others and there's no natural solution. Oh, there is. What? Ted Williams. What was that? Cryogenics. When I died, they cut off my head and we're going to freeze it. And then when time comes around, we're going to, he's, that thing has been so freezer burned. That's your solution. Oh, I'm going to create artificial intelligence. I'm going to transfer my, my mind and my intellect into this robot. Oh my gosh, what a hell that would be. That is your solution. What a, what a miserable world. And yet God comes and he wants to impart to you divine life. He wants to give you a spiritual life. He wants to cause you to be born again. The problem is you have to look unto Jesus. You have to receive him as your Lord. You have to have this act of faith. You know, it says in, in, in Numbers 21 that if the person was bit, they had to look at the serpent on the pole. You go back to your little tent and there's your wife and she's been bitten and she's struggling, and, and you go and you say, Moses said we're supposed to look at the serpent on the pole. Can you look at it for me? My parents were Christians. That didn't work. My grandparents were, were churchgoers. I'm a pastor's kid. I don't care. You gotta look into Jesus. God doesn't have any grandkids. He's only got kids. You're adopted into his family. You're born again. You got to open the flap, get off your lazy butt, and look unto Jesus. You got to look at Him crucified. He's got to be your Savior. You can't lay in the tent and go, go look for me. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. You know, the poison isn't the problem, sin isn't the problem. You don't go to hell because you're a sinner. Sin doesn't lead you to hell. The poison doesn't lead you to death. It's your unbelief that leads you to hell. It's your unbelief that allows the poison to kill you. There's an anti-venom. It's provided. And you want to sit there and psychologize and philosophize and theologize and explain away why you shouldn't. And you want to lay in your tent. And you've got to plan on cryogenics and artificial intelligence. Good for you. Sin doesn't lead you to hell. Unbelief does. There's not a hell. Well, then why did Jesus talk so much about keeping people out of it? Trust with all your weight. Will you look unto Jesus? I finish with this last thought that God said in Jeremiah 31, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land, my covenant which they broke, that I was husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant, listen, that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. God would say in Ezekiel 36, I will give you a new heart and put in a new spirit within you. And I will take that heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, soft. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you'll keep my judgments and do them. God is saying, I want to save you. And he says, look unto me. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the son of man must be lifted up that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world, that's what motivated him. He loves you. 
so loved you that he gave his only son that whosoever believes. Everyone has venom in their system. You believe and you look unto Jesus and you live. I can't give you any more than that. And if that's not enough, what are you falling back on? The last thing is this. You will not perish, but you'll have everlasting life. A man is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he can never lose. He who's been placed in the Father's hand, no man can remove. Jesus says, I've told you this so that you may know you have eternal life. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. Today is the day of salvation. And we have a great cloud of witnesses whose lives have, have received the anti-venom and the poison that were, was perpetrated on them and the lives that they were living poisoning others was absolutely transformed They've been delivered from drugs. Their marriages have been healed. Their lives have been absolutely touched. Anyone by, by receiving Christ that's ever experienced this anti-venom that has changed your life, raise your hand now. Great cloud of witnesses. Now we're all without excuse. You want more? I don't have any more. God loves you. He wants to save you. Look unto him and you will be saved. You call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. And I'm going to give us an opportunity to do that right now. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads. As our eyes are closed and our heads are bowed, this act of faith, putting your trust in the Lord, similar to sitting in your seat as you've put in your weight into that seat and you're trusting that seat, today you're going to trust Christ. You're going to give him your life. There'll be an act of faith. It's going to require you to, to exercise your faith. And the way we're going to do that, the Bible says, if you believe in your heart, you confess with your tongue, Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Now, I'm not going to ask you to publicly profess that. God who begins a good work is faithful to complete it under the day of Christ Jesus. But I'll tell you what I will ask you to do. Jesus said, if you profess me before man, I'll profess you before my Father in heaven. I'm going to be that man. And you and I will both know that you've given your heart to the Lord that this is the day of salvation for you. This is the day you looked unto Christ, the author and finisher of your faith. As that serpent was on the bronze pole and your body was dying of the venom, you looked unto Christ and the anti-venom and healing was established and you're a new creature in Christ. You've been born again, born of the Spirit. Nicodemus understood it. He came to Christ in his life. And so too can you today. So as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, if you want to receive Jesus Christ and trust in him as you're trusting in that chair, if you want to receive him as your savior, that act of faith will be to raise your hand. And I want you to do that right now. Raise your hand. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. And you and you and over here. God bless you. God bless you in the back. Okay, you can put your hands down. Praise the Lord back there. Amen. Father, thank you for those who've given their heart to you. They get it. They understand. They can't describe it scientifically or philosophically or theologically, but they, they know that they know that they know. And we thank you that today their names have been written in the Lamb's Book of Life, that the anti-venom has now taken hold and they are new creatures in Christ and no longer 
does the law of sin and death hold them, but they've been set free by the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. We praise you, Lord, and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen? Amen. Let's clap for those folks who give the heart to the Lord.